0: Hey everyone, this is Dr. Reeves welcoming you to uh, week two of EDEM 6629, Children's Literature and Integrated Arts. I'm excited to get into the course content with you this week and to see where it takes us. Last week, we had a wonderful opportunity to introduce ourselves, to consider the three aspects of the Teachers Creating Readers Framework, and to share some memories about when and where our reading journeys began, and then to translate that into instructional content. This was a really exciting entry point into the course. This session will continue thinking about the Teachers Creating Readers Framework. This framework especially interests me, and I hope it interests you too, because it really focuses on the roles of teachers. It recognizes and relies on teacher autonomy and teacher decision-making being at the heart of an effective reading program, which I love because I believe that that is what should be at the heart of a reading program. And by program, I don't mean curriculum or professional development or purchased program. What I really mean is any instructional efforts that are made by educators to ensure that every young person is a reader by the time they leave 5th grade. I'm going to talk some about teacher content knowledge as part of the Create Classroom Reading Communities tenet of the framework. This tenet says that teachers will know and use strategies to engage readers, so we'll talk a little bit about pedagogy as well. I would like us though to think together about how our content knowledge influences the pedagogical choices we make. So before we go too far into this session, let's define these terms content knowledge refers to a teacher's understanding of the subject matter they are teaching. In the context of ELA, it involves being well-versed in the components of language such as phonics, grammar, vocabulary, and reading comprehension strategies. It also includes a deep knowledge of literature genres, authors, and literary elements, and I'm going to focus a bit on that today specifically. One of the reasons that Georgia and other states make elementary education programs embed the reading endorsement in the degree is because language arts is what i'm going to call the super content area it is through the skills and abilities and possibly it is only through the skills and abilities that we develop in language arts that we can access and make sense of the other content areas even math depends on our abilities to use language art skills When teachers possess a solid understanding of ELA content, they can design meaningful lessons that align with curriculum standards. They can select appropriate resources, and they can provide accurate, relevant feedback to students. In other words, it allows educators to guide students toward a deeper understanding of the subject matter and fosters a love of reading and writing. So let's pause the lecture here for a moment. Rank your level of confidence in each aspect of content knowledge for language arts phonics, grammar, vocabulary development, reading comprehension, deep knowledge of literature, genres, authors, and elements. The extent to which we understand and amplify our content knowledge directly impacts the effectiveness of our pedagogy. Alright, so let's move on and turn our attention to pedagogical knowledge. Pedagogical knowledge refers to the strategies, methods, and instructional techniques that teachers employ to to facilitate student learning. It encompasses knowledge of effective differentiation, assessment practices, instructional approaches that address diverse learning needs, and even classroom management informs our pedagogical choices. So content knowledge and pedagogical knowledge work together in harmony to establish effective and transformative learning environments. Consider with me this scenario. A teacher with a strong grasp of ELA content knowledge can effectively explain the structure of a sentence and its grammatical components. However, without the pedagogical knowledge of how to scaffold instruction, differentiate activities, and provide meaningful feedback, the teacher may struggle to meet the diverse needs of their students and ensure that learning is accessible to everyone. On the other hand, If a teacher is armed with excellent pedagogical knowledge but lacking content knowledge, they may struggle to guide students through the complexities of literature analysis or to support their writing development effectively. So it is in the interplay between these two types of knowledge that we create the best conditions for students to thrive and grow in the ELA classroom. So our task is to figure out how do we use pedagogical practices to bring that content knowledge to our students in developmentally engaging ways. Let's think about some applications of this. And it really is going to be kind of like a brainstorming session. I don't think I can really plan anything without a good brainstorming session. And if you can pull colleagues into your brainstorming sessions, then you'll have all the more um, resources at your disposal as you plan your teaching. Alright, so Romeo and Juliet is commonly read and taught in American high school. So if you came through American high school, you likely know the story. For example, if I'm teaching Romeo and Juliet, my content knowledge in language arts allows me to identify that the play is written in verse and to point out instances of personification and metaphors. It allows me to identify that the narrator or the chorus is omniscient because they know things about what's going to happen that our characters don't know. It also allows me to identify soliloquies and character foils that move the story forward. Shakespeare also makes use of frequent enjambment, which is the continuation of a sentence without pause beyond the end of a line, a couplet, or a stanza. Romeo uses oxymora, which is the plural of oxymoron, in his speeches, whereas Juliet sometimes makes use of dramatic irony and foreshadowing. Friar Lawrence and the nurse frequently make allusions and use simile and metaphor to talk about what they should not talk about, and otherwise can also provide some pretty good comic relief. There's no single theme in Romeo and Juliet. That's what makes the role of the reader so important, because when I read it, I might clearly believe that the theme is love or conflict, whereas another person reading it may think that the theme is fate or individuals versus society. There's a lot of interplay between light and dark, fate and free will, youth versus age or time, and love versus hate. And then because of my deep content knowledge, some of the features of the text described above draw my attention to particular aspects of the play. For example, the prologue uses foreshadowing and omniscient narration to warn us that Romeo and Juliet's love could not survive. As their relationship grows, as they compare each other to day and night, light and dark, hope and despair. But the more they fall in love, the more doomed they become. Well, why? What conditions in the society made their love doomed? How did we experience their story knowing they were doomed? The narrator and chorus warned us in the beginning that their story just could not be. Yet why did I feel bereft at the end? What language did Shakespeare use to implicate me as one more person who didn't intervene to save them? Were the youth in the story ever heard? And by who and at what cost I just have so many questions that I need to explore. The literary devices Shakespeare employs have earned him comparisons like that he's the Quentin Tarantino of his time because many of his plays were steeped in violence and senselessness, including Romeo and Juliet. Shakespeare was talking about serious societal issues like gang violence and forbidden love, prejudice, child brides, and even youth suicide. And speaking of irony... Consider that he wrote this incredibly long play, which was over 24,000 words, about running out of time. Rather than only taking us into the senseless rivalries between two factions, Shakespeare relentlessly reminded and pushed us towards an irresistible, extraordinarily doomed love story. Now, when I apply my pedagogical knowledge to my content knowledge, the first thing I might consider is what conditions in the learning space are going to make students open to the content knowledge described above. What is the most effective instructional path for me to take so students can experience Romeo and Juliet in a way that results in engagement, exploration, analysis, and extension? Is there a way to bring this play to the 21st century youth that, Bridges the time and language divide between the 16th century England and my own time and place, while also revealing the universal themes the play grapples with and that we grapple with still today. There's no better way to come in contact with the real and raw story than seeing it performed. So I might try and find a really excellent full-length performance of the show. I might also have a screening of a contemporary re- remake. So depending on the school, kind of the politics in the district and the maturity of the students, whether I'm teaching the course in ninth grade or 12th grade, I might bring in the 1996 Claire Danes, Leonardo DiCaprio, and John Leguizamo movie. Um, or I might also think about bringing in the new West Side Story movie that was made in 2021 and that has a 91% rating in Rotten Tomatoes. And then whichever of these versions I use or a different version that I use, I might also have students analyze um, Santana's song lyrics, Maria, Maria. Um, I'm really dying to know, for example, how students would compare some aspects of Romeo and Juliet to one of the lines uh, in Santana's song that says, in my mailbox there's an eviction letter signed by the judge, see you later. Um, and then ask them to bring in songs that they listen to that may attend to some of the same themes, motifs, and allusions. I might also pair reading or performing Romeo and Juliet with He Said, She Said by Kwame Alexander, which brings together social movements and star-crossed lovers set in the 21st century. Translations, for example, between older text and social languages and experiences of the 21st century is an incredibly active and effective way to deepen the conversation about what Shakespeare was saying then and how it can and is being said now. I may also make sure that I have audiobooks available for any of the text, as well as conversation prompts, sentence frames, paragraph frames that guide or target particular aspects of the text so that it's accessible to every single student in the classroom. I want students to magnify their talk and their discussion in guided and scaffolded ways. So we'll remember that Romeo and Juliet is 24,000 words long. So it's valuable for the educator to be able to identify where we want to spend our time unpacking and exploring particular aspects of the text. My goal would also be to plan for fast-paced teaching. There's no classroom in the 21st century that should belabor a Shakespeare play. I'd want to combine showing multiple screenings of the play, pinpointing passages that magnify high interest concepts, conflicts, and revelations, and then comparing plays. Um, You know, for example, in the West Side Story, Maria survives, whereas Juliet doesn't. Why? Um, These are all ways to move intentionally through the text. Why would the writers make these decisions? How does, for example, Maria surviving change the star-crossed lover theme? Are they still star-crossed lovers if they survive? Um, And then I want to engage students in these translation practices between then and now, right? And this really plugs them into those upper level Bloom's taxonomy um, cognitive activities that allow them to build and expand their content knowledge. I think that having students then choose one of the scenes from the play to perform could also be powerful. I especially think this could be transformative if they were able to modernize the theme somehow and write about, write about it kind of in their own language to create scripts. Um, they could potentially also translate it into... Um, a dance or a song or other type of music because we have so many young people that are involved in band and chorus and those types of things when they're in high school as well. So for example Kwame Alexander uses social movements and social media to modernize the same themes in Romeo and Juliet. The Leonardo DiCaprio movie magnifies gang violence as does the old West Side Story And there are countless other songs, musical plays, books, novellas, graphic novels, and other content that might resonate with young people as they think together about the major issues explored in the play. So students who modernize a theme could be tasked, for example, with also using metaphors, similes, personification, and foreshadowing in their creation or in their art or story or play or performance to reveal some aspect of the narrative. And we would return to the original play, Romeo and Juliet, to carefully study how Shakespeare did that and how or why it was effective. And then we could figure out together how to apply those same techniques in our own creations. Students may also want to, um, to study um, Romeo and Juliet or some aspect of Romeo and Juliet on their own to conduct some original research. For example, Shakespeare was a great researcher and observer, so students might conduct research on YOLO culture or live fast, die young culture. They may explore contemporary gang culture, whether in their own area or more broadly in their state or the country. They may identify and research um, the social conditions that that may have led to the survival of Romeo and Juliet. And then there are also other smaller stories um, that are happening in the play that might be of interest for them to consider as well. What is the role of the secondary and tertiary characters um, that come into and impact the narrative? Um, For example, there are a number of people who believe that Juliet's nurse and Friar Lawrence serve as parent figures or surrogates because Romeo and Juliet can't seem to stop their own parents from plotting revenge and war long enough to listen to them. So our pedagogical knowledge is allowing us to intentionally plan conversations and talk, to conduct research either on our own or with our students. It's giving us the opportunity to model how to get into a text, to analyze excerpts from that text, and to show students how to essentially lift literary practices and techniques from an author and apply them to our own um, writing and speaking and performance. Um, It's also helping us think about how we can group and pair our students. Um, So we might, for some types of um, work, have students paired homogeneously, and then there's other type of work where it may be more effective and more meaningful for the students to be paired heterogeneously. Um, And so what is that going to look like so that we can essentially get the most out of guiding our students into the content, and they can get the most out of it, too. So these are areas that are uniting content knowledge and pedagogical knowledge in the exploration of Romeo and Juliet, and they're really just the tip of the iceberg. There are so many different ways to intentionally bring young readers into the literary work like Romeo and Juliet. So this week, the children's book we're working with is called Maybe Something Beautiful by Isabel Campoy and Teresa Howell, and it's illustrated by Rafael Lopez. And while the text on its own really drew me in, because it's a compelling and vibrant story, I had a totally different immersive experience, and I hope you will too, um, when I listened to um, the performance and viewed the performance with paper puppets accompanied by the Chicago Symphony Orchestra. One thing, for example, that immediately stood out was that the music has a lot of energy as the performance start, which is juxtaposed against the first word in the title, maybe. So while the title makes me think about uncertainty and doubt, the music is very confident, which gives me hope that Mira's Gray City um, sooner, which gives me hope for Mira's Gray City sooner than I felt that hope when I was reading the book without the music. So how were these choices made and why? What is the author trying to convey to us? And what is the orchestra trying to convey to us? And are they telling the same or different stories? How is talking about orchestral music and the word maybe and the title different from just doing a picture walk and making predictions or inferences at the beginning of a text study? Making predictions is a type of strategy that can be used to help students identify details and clues in an effort to anticipate what comes next. And it's used to help students think ahead, which is also useful. But if I want my students to build their content knowledge and be able to apply it in new ways, I have to bring them into the text in a way that's memorable. And strategies for the sake of strategies aren't necessarily going to accomplish that. So I wanna leave you with a couple of questions as we move into this week's module. How do educators use their content knowledge to meaningfully dig into a book with their students? How does what teachers know and notice about stories and language guide what we lead our students to in the text? How do we know how to ask good questions? How do we call up our content knowledge and our passion for literature as we plan lessons for our students? And what happens when content knowledge and pedagogical knowledge finally strike a balance? How are you going to dig into maybe something beautiful? How will you approach the text and the performance? And then how will you unite your content knowledge and your pedagogical knowledge to bring meaningful and memorable learning to your students? I'm really looking forward to seeing how we all will accomplish this in the session this week. See you all there.